Today's reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast in a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and spreading wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water, whose water do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be re rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. From the Gospel of Matthew, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, as we encounter these words in scripture today, may we truly hear your word arising from them within us and between us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, when I came and I candidated uh, for this job, standing there at the podium and after having preached my sermon, you may remember it was a really hot day and I had to wear a blazer and look professional and really my primary memory of the day is just the sweat streaming down my back (laughs) and thinking where is that air-conditioned room I can escape to. Uh, But also my memory is of the questions that were asked of me, and there were three questions that were asked of me that day, all having to do with politics in church. And what I heard in that, uh, those questions was this deep concern for for what what is, um, how do we hold politics in this congregation, and how do we care for each other who may be of differing parties, who may have different perspectives? How do we not make what, what is said up here a voice for a certain perspective that would exclude others and also exclude us from having relationship with each other? That's what I heard. And I so am grateful for the heart of where that came from, and it continues to be something that I struggle with and that my fellow pastor friends struggle with is is how do we preach in such a way that pulls us together and that nurtures our soul in these days rather than pulling us apart and and, uh, discouraging us. And yet, when you come to the Bible, it's a hard question to ask because actually, The Bible is written about kings and judges and governors. It's written about policy and religious authorities at the time. The Bible is often about people who were in the public square making comments about the politics of the day. And we've made the Bible very, uh, we want it to be really personal and to make us feel good, but often, frankly, it's not. And sometimes, like this week, the lectionary gives me these texts to preach from. So preaching from uh, this book requires some conversation, requires us to go beyond our individual spirituality to consider what it has to say to us in our world. So the question for me is not whether or not we talk about politics, but but how do we engage with the political nature of the Bible? Because I don't think that you need me to make any sort of commentary on the impeachment this week. Nor do you need me to be talking about CNN or Fox or MSNBC. Those are not the things you need to be me to be saying from this word. We've all had enough of that, and we're all really exhausted this morning from it all. But the Bible is still looking for us to have a conversation about justice. In the early 1970s, when Jim Wallace was 
uh, beginning Sojourners. He, an organization that uh, comes from a more progressive, maybe evangelical stand, uh, talking about justice, he and his friends took a Bible and they cut out all of the places where, the ju- where justice and the poor were mentioned. And there was over 2,000 texts that they cut out of an old Bible, and they, it was kind of like their prop. They walked it around and said, hey, look, like if we leave this out, we're leaving out so much of the Bible. They were left with he, what he says is a Bible full of holes. So when we look at justice, when we see this word that comes up in the scripture over and over, what does it mean? Well, in a biblical sense, in in coming out of the Jewish tradition, God is always a God that is inviting covenant. What does covenant mean? Well, covenant means taking relationships really seriously. Covenant means that God is saying to us, I am with you, I am in relationship with you. And God asking us to say back, I am with you, I am in relationship with you. I am submitted to that relationship. And then God says, this is the nature of our reality in a vertical sense. This is also to be the nature of our reality in a horizontal sense. So we say to each other, I am committed to you and to you and to you and to you. And we look at the world and we say, I am committed to you, to being in right relationship together. So in that sense, when we think about covenant, then it starts to help us understand what justice may mean, right? Because justice means making that happen, looking for the ways in which that's not happening in the world, and being there to make it right. And in Isaiah 58 that Mike read earlier, there's this frustration that the prophet has with a worshiping community that was missing the point. They are saying to God, why do you fast and we not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? And the word of God through Isaiah is to say, look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all of your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. So there is a critique in this text to say, I, your worship is not just about the beauty of your ritual. Your be- worship is not just about your tradition. And in fact, if your worship is not attended with justice, then it's not worship at all. Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. That's a really big list and it goes on beyond that. But what Isaiah is, is asking us to do is to to ask ourselves these questions. Where in the world is the load or the yoke too heavy for people? Where are people oppressed? Where is there hunger and homelessness? Where is there nakedness 
and vulnerability? Where are people pointing the finger? Where is there lacking joy and peace? That's where injustice is. And that's where religious practices should take us, says Isaiah. Now, justice seems like a really beautiful concept, and um, who doesn't want to be in right relationship, right? But we all know that we struggle with this. And uh, scholar Walter Wink, a biblical scholar, calls, says that we live under domination systems, or Walter Brueggemann calls it a royal consciousness, assumptions and philosophies, things that are in the air that we breathe. And there's easy ones to name as we look back on history. Uh, in Jesus' time, there was this Pax Romana, this idea that, that the Roman Empire could, could provide peace for everyone, and yet it left behind others. In our own recent history, we can look at Nazism or fascism or racism or apartheid, patriarchy, more subtle more subtle narratives, dominant narratives, are this idea of redemptive violence or an inevitability of inequity and scarcity. Ethnocentrism, it's about me and my people, that's what's most important, or romanticizing some sort of origin story for our nation or our people group. Domination systems seem inevitable because they are constantly reinforced around us. And now add to that, can just imagine, I mean, I think about this all the time, how often I check the New York Times or, or the San Francisco Chronicle or my Facebook feed once a day. These domination myths are like constantly reinforced in our head. They're, we carry them around in our head. It's not just about turning on the TV anymore or being in the public square. Walter Wink says, for a story told often enough and confirmed often enough in daily life ceases to be a tale and is accepted as reality itself. And when that happens, people accept the story even if it is destroying their lives. So what I hear when we talk about no politics in churches, this is what we don't want. Right? We don't want to just keep reinforcing all these stories because, because we hear them all the time. We need a fresh word. We need to hear something different. Domination systems leave us numb. They leave us frozen. They leave us inactive, small, and exhausted. Do you ever feel like that? This is why we want to hear a new story. We're tired of these stories. And so how do we stay above and in a different space? Well, this is not a new problem. This is exactly what Isaiah is talking to his congregation about in this text. He says, your religion is small and petty and numb. Those are pretty big words that he uses. Well, I'm paraphrasing. Because instead, he says, share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless in. Cover the naked. Live generous lives because, and here's the joy, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. 
and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The prophet invites this worshiping community to seek and act in ways that do the opposite of what the domination systems do. Brueggemann says that the prophet holds both critique and hope. The prophet holds critique and hope. The prophet holds grief, grief at the ways we are broken, and joy at the way things can be, joy in the moment of connection. He has only the hope that the ache of God could penetrate the numbness of history. So when we talk about justice in the Bible, it's not scary, it's not a threat, it's not seeking to, to prop up one position or the other, but it is this yearning. It is this, this way of, of stepping outside of these stories we've been given and seeing them in a new light. To be in a place of justice and to preach justice means to be alive, not numb to see where the system is blinding us, to be in genuine relationship across difference, to hold the paradox of what Parker Palmer says between cynicism and idealism, called to live in midst of both of those. And Jesus speaks these words, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And here's this paradox again, right? Because salt can be too much or just about right. I have a daughter in culinary school, and let me tell you, it's all about the salt. And light, actually, I gave her that for Christmas. I gave her her own personal little salt thing to carry around with her. And light, light can expose and blind, or it can enlighten, or there can be not enough, and we can be in the dark. So Jesus is saying, be salt and be light, but that, that means holding some paradox, holding some tensions. To seek justice is to not be wagging your finger or making threats. To seek justice is to yearn that the world may be as God intended, in relational connection, in covenant rightness. The invitation to justice in the Bible is meant to break the spell of the domination systems in our world, to invite us to live in aching hope and joy and grief, to speak poetry in a world of prose, to believe in kinship and not domination. The Bible, as a book of justice, can bring us back again and again to this as we allow the Spirit to speak through its words, calling us to name injustice where we see it, but also living in hope for justice. The Bible asks us to cultivate a community together of justice. We've seen that already this morning as we've talked about our relationship to Takash as we will bless the team going to the Dominican Republic this week. As I look out and see some of you who spend every Friday serving meals, see others who have made decisions in the civil rights era to include, every church should be able 
says Desmond Tutu, every church should be able to get a letter of recommendation from the poor in their community. And that is what we're seeking, a world of right relationships. Sometimes Facebook can be really helpful when you're preaching. And this honestly came across my feed last night as I was closing my books and ready to go to bed. It's by a woman named Lisa Sharon Harper, who is an African-American writer, Christian author, and she talks about uh, her plane trip she had just recently this week. As we descended from the clouds, I decided to talk with him. I turned to the seatmate I had been paired with by United. For two hours, we had sat in complete and peaceful silence. He held his Stetson cowboy hat on his lap. I kept my new wireless Bluetooth earbuds in my ears. The sun intervened. I looked out of the window, and there it was, saying goodnight as it went to sleep beneath the blanket of clouds covering Chicago. I couldn't hold it in. It's beautiful, isn't it? He agreed and tried to take a picture, but couldn't get a good angle from his seat. I told him I could take the picture for him if he wanted, since I had the window seat. A little surprised, he handed me his phone. After a little banter about the sun, he introduced himself. He sells farm equipment and runs real estate auctions at Self Farms. He asked what I do. I help the church do justice, I said. I decided to lean in. Can I ask you a question, I asked. Sure, he said. How would you define justice? He defined justice as giving people what they say they need. When he asked how I would define justice, I answered, justice is when things are as they should be. What do you think it will take to heal our nation, I asked. Over the course of the ensuing conversation, which carried us to the gates at O'Hare, we agreed on two things. One, we live in silos, separated from each other. We need to hear each other's stories to begin to understand. And two, our faith gives us hope that healing is possible. To be a people of this book is to keep hearing stories, to keep seeking to understand, to critique and hope, to grieve and laugh, to listen for the voice of justice. May it be so. Amen.